This is a podcast from the Poetry Society. Hello, um, it's just Jack Pumbles here. I, I just realised that um, I left a, a, a beer bottle and a glass up in the studio. So just, uh... There's probably only about ten really good poems, I think. And maybe in the two. world, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably like more like a uh, hundred or a thousand good ones. Yeah, but the really good ones are hard um, to find. Hello, I'm Morris Reardon, editor of Poetry Review. I'm talking today uh, to Jack Underwood. Jack, you were one of the Faber New Poets a few years ago. You had a pamphlet, I think, in 2010. And you've got a book, I think, coming out next year. Is that right? Yeah, Yeah, hopefully. So that must have been a bit like playing with Manchester United (laughs) under-18s. That kind of first run out. And uh, I wonder how it felt, that kind of interim between the pamphlet publication and having your uh, full manuscript accepted... There's obviously the the prestige and the well, just the fun really of being a Faber poet, and you get to go to the summer party, things like <laughs> that, which is good fun, and drink all the gin fizzes, and and that was that was great, and the tour was great, and and just having the the pamphlet um, as a sort of something that you could say, yeah, this is what I've done, and this is who I am, but. The part part of the design of that was to 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 be a stopgap between where we were as poets and and that first book, um, and for me that took a little bit longer than I probably imagined to get to the first book mm. stage. So for the first couple of years, it was great having this pamphlet, and then as my work changed and uh, and maybe like you begin to sort of feel a bit prickly about expectation. You know, you've had, you've done this thing, and you've been sort of selected for quite a sort of yeah a rare thing. Mm. Um, and, there, and and I sort of began to probably the pressure was more coming from myself but I did begin to get quite sort of nervous to find out about the first book it was, yeah. a, it was a, a long process and, a, and, a, and yeah not an easy one yeah did you find it was good preparation for the full book or did it perhaps I don't know inhibit it I, no I don't think it inhibited it because I think yeah, there's a certain comfort in knowing that somebody thinks that your work is worthy of yeah. of that pamphlet publication and and it does take the heat off because I, I might have been tempted to publish a full collection elsewhere too early and it would have been too early mm. and I'm, I'm hugely grateful actually of the fact that it that it did take so long and I was able to really get a manuscript together that I've been happy with um, for a, a longer one there's no there's no negatives to to to, to be drawn from mm. it there's just the, uh, the the private business of feeling terrified and nervous and yeah. and <laughs> anxious. But but now you're there, so um, yeah, yeah, but, I'm still terrified <laughs> and nervy and anxious. Well, of course, but, yeah, but, but at least at least it's in the can. Yeah, 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 and it's it's got nothing to do with yeah. with publishing. It's just to do with where I am. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell tell me a little bit about where you come from. Actually, uh, I don't. I know you from Faber parties, but not so much beyond that kind of context. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm from Norfolk, a village called New Buckingham, which has a castle, a Norman castle. Really? Yeah. Um, although there's some dispute over whether it uh, belongs to Old Buckingham or New Buckingham. I think, obviously, New yeah. Buckingham is like the Norman settlement after the castle. Yeah. So I don't know why. And, and it, the castle's definitely in New Buckingham, and I'm from New Buckingham. So I feel quite precious about the fact that it's our castle. Um, and maybe that's why I like French food so much, because of this sort of Norman 
thing. But you, but you don't have a title. You're not king, no. of, you're not king of the castle. No, <laughs> no. no. Uh, my dad was a, a school teacher. He taught at Old Buckingham Primary School, which was the um, the school that I then went to. They moved down there in the 70s, and it was kind of like a good life kind of thing. Mm. Um, dad was a sort of bright jumper-wearing, Afghan coat-wearing, hippie school teacher. Mum was trained as a nurse and did mainly social work. Um, and looking after me and my older brother Tom, and so sort of growing up, it was very, it all the story, all the sort of jokes about in inbreeding and stuff like that. Yeah, and the rural way the of life. It was really quite rural. Yeah. It was very rural, yeah. yeah. But at the same time, there were lots of like hippies around. There were kind of different camps at school. That, not that, you know we didn't like separate ourselves or anything, mm. but you could. There were sort of parents who you knew were from, who probably moved down from London or something. Or up from London. No, and I can't work it out. <laughs> There's a sort of implied hierarchy which I'm trying to avoid by being geographically yeah. correct, but I don't know. Yeah, we they were, we kept pigs and things on the common. Pigs? I was probably too young to remember them, you know, sort of personally or intimately. But I'm told that I was put on the back of them and, you know, given a little ride on a pig. Certainly my brother would have ridden a pig. Fantastic. Uh, and then we ate them. <laughs> and we had geese and chickens and things like that. Oh, um, but that was very early childhood, yeah. I think. But it was it was nice. It was good, and we were, and certainly like small country schools, you're allowed to sort of be yourselves a bit more. I didn't feel like we were there was too much culture encroaching. Mm. Um, yeah, you might tell me a little bit about where you come from. Then, as, as a poet, as a writer, uh, I don't know what turned you on to to writing poems. Well, after high school, I went to the big city I went to Norwich <laughs> oh the big city yeah oh, yes. uh, I went to a, a Catholic sixth form um, mm. Notre Dame and I just had a very good English a couple of good English teachers there um, I was already quite into sort of acting and drama and stuff I'd already been in Shakespeare plays and stuff like that. so I sort of felt like the sort of saying texts aloud was quite I was quite comfortable with that idea but um, it was only we studied Simon Armitage basically. We studied Dead really? Sea poems, mm. and and all of a sudden it it was like somebody like Shakespeare or or maybe Howell or something by Ginsberg, which felt very mannered and very different to my mm. kind of way of speaking. And suddenly that book seemed like oh, here's a person who speaks vaguely like I speak, mm. and and so I think that sort of gave me a sense of that poems were written by not by dead people. Yeah. We yeah. don't tend to have a great output these days, <laughs> the dead guys. But yeah, yeah it, it felt yeah. quite important. And, and I started writing then and showed them to my English teacher. He was quite stern, quite sort of disciplinarian. People were scared of him in the school. Mm. But he, he was very, very like um, warm and encouraging. And then I just decided at 17... This was it. I'm going to be a poet, Dad. Is that right? Yeah. 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 And what did Dad say? <laughs> well, Dad said you're going to be poor. Oh. Um, and he was largely right. <laughs> Choosing university courses, I just looked at the ones which had sort of creative writing modules. My girlfriend, Hannah, who's still my girlfriend, was going to go and do a foundation year at the art school. Mm. And so I had to decide whether I was going to go somewhere like Lancaster or something like that or go to Norwich. And I went to Norwich Art School. And they had George Zertes there, Zertes, very yeah. good um, mm. tutor and um, an excellent poet and friend now, and um, and Andrea Holland as well, who was excellent. Mm. And so 
I don't know. You kind of came up through the creative writing uh, route. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a product yeah. of this yeah. evil creative writing right, system. Yeah. Oh. yeah, which I feel partly responsible <laughs> for. And you were in a band, I think, weren't you? I was in yeah. a band, yeah. So you got that out of your system. People of my generation uh, tended tended to front the band when they got into their 40s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or go back and produce uh, you know, fronting bands and things. And there's a few sort of new gen poets who are that's right, yeah. doing their, that's doing their right. turns still. That's right, yeah. yeah. We won't talk any more about that. But uh, <laughs> uh, I would like to ask you, perhaps music obviously would have been an influence outside of the, outside the literary world. Mm. Um, are there other, other influences outside of poetry, outside of books? The musical one I was feel slightly overplayed. I, I feel very like it was a totally different, like r- lyrics of a totally different thing. Mm. To, and, and actually our lyrics were dreadful. You know, I wouldn't, they were really bad um, and really embarrassing. And the, in fact, they're the one thing listening to like the music that we produced that I feel particularly earlier on that were just dreadful. But then I probably looking back at my poetry then, I'd also think that was dreadful as well. So, But I, I think probably I'd have to say television is the one thing that I... I watch a lot of. And, really? Yeah. A couch potato? No, I wouldn't say I'm a couch <laughs> potato, but I I do like television. There's always something yeah. on, you know. There's always... Anything can be potentially interesting, I think, yeah. if you... British, American, both? Anything. Anything. Really. Yeah. I particularly like River Monsters. That's my... Yeah? There's a show called River Monsters with this guy, Jeremy Wade, who's a quite a strange man, but he, he goes and hunts down a mythical fish... That there's been local legends about and things. He goes to like the Congo and goes through some tribal ritual and then goes out fishing. And then at the end, there's always the payoff at the end because presumably you don't see the failed yeah. fishing trips. There's always just some outrageous 12 foot oh, enormous, enormous fish. <laughs> I must watch out for that. Yeah, it's one. excellent. Ooh. I can't recommend it more highly. And art as well, visual art. Yeah. And probably conceptual art would be the just being in an art school. Yeah. And the art, the kind of argument of the value of art, the, the implicit argument that comes with being in one of those places where you, you're kind of investing a lot of time and energy in things that nobody really, outside yeah. of your peer group and possibly outside of just you, really cares about. And, yeah, I think that's good for you. Yeah. And good for poets. Good, yeah, yeah. And if we come back to the poets for a bit, I mean, are there are there heroes, poetic heroes you have, living or dead for that matter? I was thinking about this. The Certainly no poet entirely. It's more poems, I think, for mm. me. I, I tend not to like any sort of biographical angle on literature. I find it sort of difficult. Mm. Um, I don't know if that's because of literary theory that I perhaps prefer. I don't feel like a historicist, I feel. It's between the text and the reader more for you, is it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Like, so it's poems, really. Um, Mm. And I think um, Bishop has some really good poems. There's probably only about ten really good poems, I think. And maybe... In the world. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) There's probably, like, more like a hundred or a thousand good ones. Yeah. But the really good ones are hard. Um, to find, um, I think O'Hara probably has one or one maybe. Which O'Hara would that be? I think for Grace after a party is a pretty yeah clever, special poem. 
Um, Bishop, I think. Fish. The fish would be the one. Well, I don't know. I like filling station, Mm. but then I feel like that's perhaps a little bit sentimental. It's not as good. It's not as... I don't know, but maybe it is. Um, The moose I like, but it's too long. (laughs) I I, I don't really mind about all the fishing villages and things like this. I'm more interested in when that moose turns up. Crusoe in England? No, too long. Maybe too long. Mm. I like Simic, the Mm. early Simic. I think that's he's got some good poems. Uh, Tate, though I find him a bit sort of, I don't know whether the joke's on me sometimes. Or, mm. so this seems like humour is sometimes not productive enough. I don't know, but I'm fussy. I'm really fussy. Good, poems. good, yeah. But that's an entirely American list, actually. Yeah, mm. it is. That's, that, that's safer, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is safer. I know. I think there's like, the, like I said, the poets sort of growing up. If when if I calibrated mm. like myself as as a poet and what I was, what I understand a poem to be, it's almost entirely from British poets. I think. Yeah. And then they would be people like Lavinia Greenlaw and mm. Simon Armitage and and yourself and other than people like Joe Shapcott, the sort of new yeah. generation poets who, who I read at university. or So that kind of 90s group of people would, yeah. would have had an impact on oh, you. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously, like tutors, you tend to read their work, partly because they're reading yours, and you've partly in, in, a, in a bid to work out, you know, how you can justify taking all their advice, you know. Um, yeah. And I've had lots of good tutors. Yeah. But now you must have maybe a sense of, um, a needable sense perhaps, of belonging to to a new group of people, a new generation, mm. who are about to sort of displace all these... Um... <laughs> <laughs> there is this implied sort of the, that, you're, that you're pushing people into obsolation by being younger the, the new generation <laughs> but of course we should like gen the whole thing of generation is inherited it's not yeah. something we're imposing upon older poets who have been who have largely anointed us through their um patronage and encouragement um but the yeah so we it's a sort of borrowed term i do feel like there's i do feel part of a new generation but that's yeah that that, that concept pre pre-exists any any sort of understanding of that kind but it's also like material there are material reasons why we would feel different to could you say a bit more about that yeah well for example the the teacher student relationship sort of mimics a parental one or maybe like sort of avuncular if it's some, or, or you know you have I have uncles and aunties mm. and and I hopefully I'm more like an older brother with my students so mm. I feel a bit I've had, you know, even have a sort of Werther's original type grandpappy relationship with some even <laughs> older um, poets. But so they sort of like the fact, just the fact of, of them being in a position of, of authority in institutions, but also in, in terms of the other sort of poetry real estate, it's, you know, prizes, um, publication, magazines, um, all those things. They, in just like in the in the real world, there's a sort of, widespread home ownership the real mm. estate is in our parents generation's hand and it's the same with poetry so and so you're more likely to feel like you have more in common and a shared experience with people of your own generation who are entering into those competitions who are submitting to mm. those magazines and who are going through that academic process at the same time as you people like sam Rivier, who i went to art mm. school with 
Matthew Gregory, Tim Coburn, and Hayley Buckland, and, not, and, and Emily Berry was, was, at, was on the MA as well. So there are people who've been through the same, who've had the same experiences as me in, in poetry. So I feel, obviously feel more in common mm. with them. And would you, would you find, uh, I don't know, different sources of energy in that work or different mm. stylistic things? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's when it becomes more interesting, I think, mm. a sense of generation. The material side of things is kind of slightly inevitable and boring. Mm. But when you start looking to your peers as kind of arbiters, what their work is doing seems more important. Mm. Um, and, and their approval seems more important. Part of that, I think, the stuff we did with Stop Sharpening Your Knives... Mm. Um, with Heather Phillipson and Emily Berry and Sam um, and Nathan Hamilton as well, being editors of, of of your sort of peer group and wanting to have that sense of collective enterprise, um, I guess that's that's we, it was quite a conscious point at which we were saying, as as well as being judged mm. by this older generation, we're also interested in what each other are doing, mm-hmm. and and I think that as you begin to sort of get books out and things like that that it becomes more about the stylistic things than the, the material things. And, I'm, and I am more excited about books coming out by my peers than I am by people who have been around a bit longer, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So there's some, there is some new edge there. I suppose it's... Is it too early to characterise that in any way? Or? Well, there's, there's obviously, like, the style will follow the subject. So mm. things like the internet has changed... How we understand ourselves and our and just us and how we sort of have a, conceive our personalities, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think it, yeah. When you start talking in these broad strokes, it always sounds slightly dubious. And and you know, it probably is too early to go through and look for sort of idiomatic things that hmm. that, that poets are doing of, of my age or whatever. More of the writing has to happen first, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, to suggest that it's all good is would be wrong as well. Like. In the same way that I still go, you know, you still need to go to your parents for money. <laughs> you still need to go to the poetry you grew up with to, for sort of guidance. So it's the idea that it somehow overwrites it or that it, there's an inherent quality to newness is yeah. nonsense. So you need a few of those touchstones from... Yeah, uh, well, I, I'm more uh, excited. I, I'm excited about a, a book by a peer coming out, mm. partly because they're my peer, but that doesn't mean that I'm also not excited about good poets mm. <laughs> who are older yeah. in the same way that I'm not excited about bad poets who are mm. younger. But you're, you're, you're the, the poacher turned gamekeeper yourself a bit now, aren't you? I mean, you, you're mm. involved in creative writing at Goldsmiths. So yeah, well, every year. Becoming an influence on, on an, <laughs> an even younger generation. Um, I'm always curious, you know, are there, are there one or two things that you really want to impress on, on, on somebody sort of joining the game, as it were? Well, a lot of it's parroting the stuff that I was taught, of course, which is, you know, I guess the theme of this <laughs> podcast. But then also sort of filtering that through my experience of being a creative writing academic. Mm. Uh, most of my tutors won't have been taught creative writing. I'm, I've been teaching, I think, creative writing now for four or five years I've been in workshops for ten years and I think that does have a, have a change how you view the subject I think for me like being in an academic institution and being a creative writer that being your role there you you notice that you're not a critic 
but I don't have an English degree. I went to art school. So I feel like that puts its own pressure on understanding creative writing as a subject distinct from, mm. from, from English. So I would say the things that I impress on students are, firstly, that, that a reader is, is complicit, that, they're, that, they, that you have to basically necessitate their participation. You have to leave room for their imagination. And that's what makes poetry kind of empathetic. And that seems very important. And also that, that a poem should be, should be un, in, in that way, kind of uncertain. It, it's not about expression. You know, Auden talked about the damp poetry of self-expression. And I, mm. sort of, I sort of believe that. When you see people pouring stuff out, you think, well, expressing is what you do to a boil. You know, you don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so for me, it's like kind of a poem being more of a question than it being a sort of statement or an answer. And, and that way a kind of means of interrogating the world rather than adding to, yeah. to its noise. Yeah, yeah. I think there, yeah, that's interesting. I think there is a more, more confidence actually about that trust in the, mm. in the text, as it were, yeah, from, from nowadays. Mm. We, we were a bit more timid about that, I think, you know, and relied on the old chestnuts like... Uh, show don't tell I guess yeah. <laughs> but then when you're like in, if you go through workshopping your whole sort of your whole of your education you get used to mm. seeing you get a panel of readers there yeah. all saying that they get it or they don't and so you get to judge it quite tangibly where you're going too far or or when you're not I think, yeah. I think, at least I think so yeah that's interesting actually yeah. yeah well will you try out one of your own poems on us then just to to conclude (laughs) (laughs) well as long as you can guarantee that people are going to be participants listening that's up to you (laughs) fire away then Jack okay so this is a poem called Spring Spring is here so now the plants and animals are starting to have sex again we've unblocked the drain of its crud and bump the smell is waning We've washed the gravel and piled the fox turds in a far-off corner. We are wearing slightly fewer clothes. Our bodies, newly exposed, are strangers to themselves. They chime against the air. A thought arrives of our life together, yet to come. It configures like a beam of dust. Look, this plant has made it through the winter, you say, as millions of photons whoosh through my hands. And I should add to that um, that I had to ask a friend whether photons do wish through your hands, and he's uh, a physicist. And what, do they? They do, but not light ones. If you're if light font photons wish through your hands, and your hands will be see through. Have to be but, short. Or yeah, yeah, radio waves. Mm. And he actually spent the morning in a really nice way working out uh, if my hands were square. And I was standing in London Fields, which is a certain distance away from the BT Tower. How many Jenny Murray photons would pass through my hands, my square hands, during Women's Hour? Oh, brilliant. Specifically <laughs> Jenny Murray. Well, I think she does most <laughs> yeah. of the talking Women's Hour. So something came back to you from the poem then. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It, it, it was a kind of physicist's love poem because mm. he draw the pictures and the workings out and things. Well, that's wonderful. Mm. Jack Underwood, thank you. Thanks, Morris. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Poetry Society podcast. To find out more about the Poetry Society and how you can become involved, visit www.poetrysociety.org.uk.